Section 23 of The Lord of Death and the Queen of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lord of Death and the Queen of Life by Homer Eon Flint. Part 4 The Queen of Life. Chapter 10 Loaves and Fishes. Without a word, Myron drove her machine toward the ground, and as before, Estra followed, despite the lack of any visible signal. Within a minute the two machines had come to rest, softly and without disturbance, on the roof of a handsome building, much like an apartment-house. There was the usual transparent elevator, and a minute later the four were being introduced to the occupants of a typical Venusian house. These two people, apparently man and wife, did not need to be told why the explorers had been brought there. They led the way from the dimly lighted hallway, in which the elevator had stopped, into a group of brightly decorated rooms. Here the four were given seats in the usual saddle-like chairs, and then Myron answered Van Emmon's question. "'I knew that this point would arise soon, and you will pardon me if I handle it in a prearranged fashion. I will admit that it is not an easy question Mr. Van Emmon has put.' not because the answer is at all complicated, but on the contrary extremely simple. The four were listening unanimously. Despite himself, Van Emmon was highly impressed by the Venusian woman's serious manner. Perhaps it was because, in her earnestness, she was not quite so affable as before. She went on, "'From where you are sitting you can see all the rooms in this house. You will look in vain for anything even remotely resembling a kitchen.' There is not even a dining-room. And yet you must not jump to the conclusion that we all use restaurants. We have no such thing as a public eating-place. Or rather, and here she spoke very carefully, rather, every place is an eating-place. The doctor looked Myron over as though she were a patient with a new kind of disease. You do not mean that literally, of course, said he kindly. But she nodded gravely. You must not misunderstand. Remember, even on your own planet, the distribution of food is becoming more and more extensive, until you can now buy something to eat at every crossroads. We have merely carried the idea to its logical end, so that all Venusians can obtain food at any time and at any spot. She turned in her chair. All the chairs on Venus were pivoted, Estra said, and touched a button in the wall at her hand. A panel slid noiselessly aside and revealed a tiny buffet. At least Billy labeled it a buffet, for want of a more accurate term, for it consisted of a silver bib, something like the nozzle of a soda-water fountain, above which was a board containing a large number of tiny numbered push-buttons. Below the bib was a space in which a cup might be set, and projecting from a tube at one side was a solid block of telescoping transparent cups. This said Myron, is the Venusian nutrition system. There is a station like this in every room on the planet. And she proceeded to take a cup from the tube, filling each from the silver faucet, while she pressed a variety of the buttons. The four watched in silence, and eagerly took what was given to them. It comprised liquids entirely, liquids of every degree of fluidity, from some as thin as water, to others as thick as gruel. They varied even more as to color, ranging from actual transparency to a deep chocolate. "'Now I warn you not to be shocked,' said Myron. 
although I fully expect that you will be. The fact is that we have no other kind of food than what you see. There are thousands upon thousands of different kinds and flavors, but they are all fluids. We have nothing whatever in solid form. You see, she explained, we have no teeth. All they could do was stare at her. With a return of her smile, she made a sudden gesture across the front of her mouth. Next instant, a set of false teeth lay in her hand. Esther spoke up. We are both obliged to wear them in order that we might use your language. He removed his own to show a mouth as free of teeth as a newborn baby's. Both Venusians replaced their sets and smiled afresh at the explorer's astonishment. Teeth will soon be a thing of the past with you on the earth, too, commented Myron. Dr. Kinney will surely testify to that. Your use of soft cooked foods instead of the coarse hard articles provided by nature is bound to have this effect in time. With us it resulted in having teeth reduced to the standing of your appendix, and, like you, we resort to an operation rather than take chances on trouble. I may mention that the appendix is totally absent from all Venusians, while we are beginning to lose all traces of either the first or second molars, just as you are beginning to lose your wisdom teeth. However, suppose you try our diet while I explain. The four once more looked at each other. The doctor was the first to take a sip of one of the cups handed to him, and Van Emmon was the last. The geologist waited to see the effects upon the others before gingerly tasting of the thickest, darkest liquid of them all. Another taste, and he discovered that it was very good, and that he was exceedingly hungry. "'Very delicately flavored,' commented Billy, after emptying her fourth glass, a golden fluid with a slightly oily appearance. "'Delicately is right,' said the doctor. "'This stuff is barely flavored at all, Astra. The Venusian was also eating. "'We much prefer them all that way,' said he. "'I suppose you would consider our tastes very finicky on earth, "'but the fact is we are able to distinguish between minute variations in flavoring, "'such as would escape all on earth except a hummingbird.' "'I suppose,' remarked the doctor, smacking his lips over a reddish solution with a wine-like flavor, "'I suppose we can expect something of that sort on the earth, too, in time?' Originally mankind was only able to distinguish fresh from stale and animal from vegetable flavors. After a while Myron went on, "'You know the processes of nutrition, as they take place among your people, are extremely wasteful. You have probably heard it said that the average human is only fifty percent efficient. That simply means that digestion, assimilation, and excretion require half the energy which they secure from the food.' Now the articles you have just swallowed require very little work on the part of your digestive apparatus, and none at all upon your eliminating tract. The food is almost instantly transformed into fresh blood. If I am not mistaken, you already feel much refreshed. This was decidedly true. All four felt actually stimulated. Van Emmon instantly suspected the food of being alcoholic. As he continued to watch its effect, however, he saw that there was no harmful reaction, as in the case of the notorious drug. I think I can now tell you how we produce enough food for the three and a half trillion of us, despite our lack of farms and orchards, said Myron, rising. Returning to the aircraft, the four were taken a short distance in a new direction, and again descended, this time transferring to an elevator which dropped far below the surface. 
they came to a stop about ten floors down. Naturally, said Myron, we reserve all the surface for residence purposes, although it is possible to live down here in comparative comfort, since we have plenty of electrical energy to spare. And she operated a switch, flooding the place with a brilliant glow. Thrown from concealed sources, this light was quite as strong as the subdued daylight, which they had just left. But unless we were free to fly about as much as we do, we should feel that life was a bore. Nobody stays below any longer than is necessary. Now this is where our food comes from. Whereupon she showed them a series of automatic machines, all working away there on the solid rock of the planet, and of such an extraordinary nature that Smith, the engineer, moved about in an atmosphere of supreme bliss. "'You will understand,' said Myron, "'that the usual processes of nutrition on the earth depend entirely upon plant life. We, however, cannot spare room enough for any such system, so we had to devise substitutes for plants. In effect, that is what these machines are. They convert bedrock into loom, take the nitrates and other chemicals. Footnote. The geology of Venus is thoroughly described in Mr. Van Emmon's report to the AMEA. End of footnote. Directly from this artificial soil, and by a pseudo-osmotic process, secure results similar to those produced by roots. Likewise, we have developed artificial leaves. Pointing out a huge apparatus, which none but a highly trained expert in both botany and mechanics could have half understood. This machine first manufactures chlorophyll. Yes, it does. As the doctor snorted incredulously. Not an imitation, but real chlorophyll, and then transforms the various elements into starch, sugar, and proteids, through the agency of the sunlight recovered from the granite. In short, to answer your question, Mr. Van Emmon, as to how we are all fed, we do not grow our food at all. We go straight to the practically unlimited supply of raw materials under our feet, and manufacture our food outright. End of section 23